1: is Baldry's Beat, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News, Keith Baldry. morning, Keith. Good morning. It's interesting to talk about Pierre Polyev, the federal conservative leader, been focusing on him in the last few days, because when you take a look at these opinion polls, you know, he's building a pretty good lead here over Trudeau. Well,
0: yeah, his party is. He's, he's still got a problem with his own image, but his party's got a seven-point lead now in the latest Angus Reid poll out yesterday, yeah. which is significant. Um, and
1: including in some of these key battlegrounds like Ontario, Eastern Canada, as you pointed out. Too. Slight
0: lead in, uh, well, Angus Reid gives the Liberals a, a healthy lead in Atlantic. But according to Angus Reid, the Conservatives have a slight lead in Ontario, but a significant lead in BC. Mm. You know, they've really opened up, widened the gap over the Liberals in BC. Polish's personal numbers, though, continue to be very low 35% approval, which is basically hasn't changed since he became leader. So he's not moving the needle, but his party's moving the needle. And interesting, today he had a news conference in Toronto, and I thought, you know, if he sticks to these issues, such as he wants to scrap the carbon tax. Yeah. He wants to be very aggressive in municipalities when it comes to housing, um, uh, demanding a requirement that you have to have mass densification of housing around any transit station that has federal money. Or, or
1: you don't get the federal money. You don't get the federal right? money. Yeah.
0: Um, withholding federal money from municipalities that don't meet certain housing targets and then yeah. giving them bonuses if they do. Mm. Not terribly different than David Eby's approach in BC, who is, again, um, sort of reaching over the heads of municipalities, demanding they do more housing. Not quite tying it to the same incentives, disincentives that, that um, at least not yet that Polyev's talking about. Well, those are two bread and butter issues that I think can resonate with voters.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think these are areas where Trudeau is vulnerable. I mean, we take a look at the economy, the cost of living in this country, right? Especially here in BC. Now, let's talk about that carbon tax, right? Because Polyev today had a news conference where, again, he repeats this promise to get rid of the carbon tax. Let's have a listen to him here. Now, this is at an earlier news conference here when he's talking about the impact of the carbon tax on the price of food, okay? Have a listen to this. There are all kinds of socialist interest groups that want to justify higher taxes with phony studies but we know very simply when you raise the cost of the gas and diesel that our farmers use to produce the food and that our truckers use to ship the food you raise the price of the food itself yeah yeah, not this is this is where it's gonna he's well, gonna hit home with that.
0: He can't touch BC's carbon tax because it is a BC made in BC.
1: Well, this tax. is the thing I'm wondering: how does this work now? Because there's there's a federal carbon tax, but it does not apply in BC, right? Well,
0: it's it's at a certain point it will once it, we match that level, yeah. um, tied ourselves to the escalating carbon tax there. But again, you know, when Gordon Campbell brought in the carbon tax a number of years ago, everyone the first jurisdiction in North America to, to do so. Everyone thought, ooh, this is a, a major, bold effort against to fight climate change. Well, since then, our greenhouse gas emissions haven't gone down. It doesn't seem to have had the desired effect. It was supposed to curb behavior when it comes to um, emissions. Well, that hasn't happened. So what yeah. it's turned into, it was supposed to be revenue neutral, was tied to a tax cut, uh, income tax, tax cut in the first years. It's long ceased being revenue neutral and now becomes – Basically, for BC, another revenue stream for the government. It's just a tax. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily a tax anymore about greenhouse gas emissions. It's just a tax. And I think it's losing its luster uh, that other measures that probably have to be adopted to start bringing the greenhouse gas emissions down. Uh, again, this tax doesn't seem to be nearly as effective as it was designed to be when it was first introduced, which is why I think you're going to see center-right politicians like Poliev jump on this thing, bit of a populist appeal to it again won't affect BC but it probably play quite well in Ontario.
1: Does he does he have to promise BC voters something else because he can't he can't do anything about a provincial carbon
0: tax. No, he can't he can't touch the any BC made in BC taxes. Yeah. But again, it is it is talk about housing it is again housing's a red hot issue in uh, in uh, BC particularly in Metro and in, in the capital region. And if he's insisting tying federal dollars to building more um, housing, again, not a bad issue. He also, uh, in his news comments today, talked about the enormous amount of fees that governments put on housing developments. All yeah. sorts of big fees and little mm. fees. They all add up to a big number. And he wants to get rid of those as well.
1: Okay. Let's talk about the indictment against former U.S. President Donald oh, uh, Trump. Came down last night in Georgia. So this is a sweeping indictment here, it not only against biggest, Trump, but a lot of his allies.
0: Biggest one of all, uh, Trump and 18 co-conspirators all yeah. indicted, including Rudy Giuliani, the former New York um, Attorney General, um, State Attorney, yeah. uh, Prosecutor, uh, Mark Meadows, his former Chief of Staff. Yeah. 41 counts, including the count of RICO, yes. which is the, the racketeering charge, which carries with it a minimum five years in prison, up to 20 years. In prison. So this is the most serious thing of all, I think, because this is a two and a half year investigation. Uh, There's everything uh, from I think 22 counts of uh, false statements and lying, uh, eight counts of fraud, several counts of intimidating, harassing election workers, perjuries on there, uh, all sorts of. Trump is charged with 13 of those counts, uh, but is co and there's also 30 other unnamed, co unindicted co-conspirators, and you can expect they're going to be talking in the witness stand to avoid being charged. So this is, I think, the most serious thing to hit Trump uh, of all the charges he's facing.
1: I think even some of the people named in the indictment, like you mentioned, like 19 people, some of these sort of second-tier people on this uh, indictment list that people have probably never heard their names before, they could be squeezed, too, you know, like there there could be plea deals um, going on, there could be people turning states' evidence, you know, so this is a sprawling, sprawling case. What about like? So this is like the fourth what? The fourth different jurisdiction where Trump is facing. He's and facing our, these, uh, indict, these type of indictments.
0: What I've been reading in the New York Times, and Washington Post today, it's probably the worst place to, to get hit here. Georgia has the most wide open interpretation of some of these laws. You don't have to set foot in Georgia to be charged as part of a conspiracy, a criminal organi- um, organization designed to defraud the state of Georgia and that Trump never set foot in Georgia to uh, regarding these events but he's being charged because he's deemed to be the head of a criminal organization. So this is the the Trump campaign team basically being brought in by that uh, state attorney. They all have to appear in person on Friday by noon. And yeah. there's a chance Trump will be fingerprinted and um, have his mugshot taken.
1: Yeah, and for Trump as he continues to run for the Republican nomination for president, every time he's indicted the poll numbers seem to go up. So, how, how long is that? Does that say consistent this time? Does this help him in the no, Republican? I think,
0: I think already you're seeing more. Again, every day seems to bring another Republic, prominent Republican saying, no more. We wash no. our hands of Now, there's a poll out today in New Hampshire, which is one of the first primaries. Trump is 49%. Yeah. You know. So it's not having a big impact internally on the Republican party because it's been basically taken over by this mob. He's going
1: to win the Republican nomination. I don't know how you stop him. You no, know,
0: it's it's uh, but he's down a little bit. He, I think he was at 57. He's down down to 49. Chris Christie is now left over Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis oh. seems to be disappearing as Chris Christie. But that's a big gap between Chris Christie at 9 points yeah. and and Trump at um at uh, 47, so it's a, it's a big gap. Now, that's New Hampshire, there's other primaries to go, and as these indictments sort of take hold, and if there's more court appearances and more Republicans bolt the fold, that gap will shrink, but I don't know if it can shrink to the point where he's going to be denied the nomination. But a number of legal scholars have stepped forward and said Section 3 of the 14th Amendment will forbid him from holding office because he participated mm. in an insurrection. And once you, the way the 14th Amendment Uh, Is worded, it came after the Civil War about former Confederates who were all, many of whom had elected office in the United States. They were sworn, they had sworn allegiance to the Constitution. Then they had the rebellion. They had an insurrection against the country. They were forbidden from holding office after that. And a number of people, including some Republican conservative academics, are saying that would be enough to decide. Well, you'd have have to be convicted first, though, right? No, really? No, you don't have to be convicted. Just charged? Yep. Not even charged. It's an, He's not charged with insurrection. Yeah, people are forgetting he's not charged with January sixth, the actual events at the Capitol. Yeah. but that's the insurrection moment. He is charged with trying to basically overturn the election
1: with intimidation and fraud. Okay. Well, we're getting into some uncharted waters there oh, for, for sure. sure. Um, let's listen to. Let's finish up with uh, Hello Ferries. Now this this is, uh, this is the ferry service, the passenger only ferry service operating between Nanaimo and uh, Vancouver, and day one. A lot of hype, their first sailings, and uh, failure to launch here. They were not able to sail because of high winds. Let's listen to Alistair Caddick, CEO. Hello, Ferries. We want to be uh, very cautious and conservative uh, with our inaugural sailing, so it resulted in us uh, having to unfortunately uh, cancel um, our inaugural sailings. Our threshold uh, certainly isn't gale force winds which is what the forecast was um, it's those those conditions are the first time since our crews have been training that we've experienced those bigger waves and heavier winds okay so there was some high winds it also knocked out some power at their terminal there in Nimo apparently
0: yeah it's was did interesting I didn't see any high wind report out there yesterday well oh, BC the,
1: ferries was still sailing
0: uh, Harbor air was flying yeah. <laughs> uh, Heliet yeah. was flying yeah um, so if you got high winds in August. You know, stick around to November and December. Yeah. You know, when you want to see high winds, so we get hurricane force winds sometimes um, or near. Uh, so it can be a very windy straight. You know, that run seems to, boy, there's, its predecessors, you know, were not able to, to be cursed. successful. I don't know if it's <laughs> yeah. I hope Halal... I wish
1: them all the best. Yeah, me too. Because
0: I think uh, there's going to be a demand for that service because Nanaimo is very much turning into a bedroom community of Metro Vancouver. Yeah. You can find a little cheaper housing. It's still pretty expensive over there. But you can still, now, I'm not sure how many people can afford that type of commute, which is $40 to $60 one way, Mm. which on a daily basis adds up pretty quick. But uh, I just hope Hollow Ferries does not become Goodbye Ferries because I think people (laughs) want that service.
1: Just looking at the Hello ferries website, and they're, they're canceled again today. So,
0: and twenty-nine kilometer winds. Yeah, that's not.
1: Yeah, so all their sailings are all their sailings are canceled. But it's um, the, the attractiveness for it for people in Nanaimo is the speed, right? Because you can get let's say like a seventy minute yeah, crossings, right like right thirty down. minutes faster than BC Ferry. I
0: think you go right downtown. So yeah. there's none of this getting out of Horseshoe Bay.
1: Yeah. Let's go to your phone calls, Daniel in Victoria. Hi, Daniel. Go ahead. Good morning. Yeah, I'm
0: a longtime new Democrat. And I'm just phoning with regards to the carbon tax. I and I want to say that as an NDP, or right? I was really disappointed when the party went away from its original position. If you remember when the carbon tax first came in, the NDP was opposed to it. Oh, yeah. Because it's, a reg- yeah. it's a regressive tax. And it Mm-hmm. It affects poor people way more than it affects rich people. Like, I'm against the GST and the PST for the same reason. I think income taxes are where it's at. But I just wish that if they hadn't been so politically expedient back in the day when, when and stuck to their guns. And I think now it goes to show you that political expediency can come back to bite you in the backside. Yeah, so, no, I remember that. Um, yeah. The NDP under Carol James they opposed um, the carbon tax. John Horgan opposed the carbon tax. This is I remember
1: Horgan ranting against the carbon yeah. tax in the legislature. In the legislature, <laughs> you know, yeah.
0: And it was, as uh, caller points out, it is a regressive tax. Yeah. And increasingly, it is uh, disproportionately harmful to to lower income people as okay. the tax increases, while their incomes aren't increasing. Yeah. Uh, so that tax bite becomes even even bigger. So, uh, yeah, the NDP used to oppose it, and we'll see going forward. This I think it's in play now. I don't think uh, governments are going to hang their hats on this thing forever. Yeah. I think uh, as have pushes against this, you're going to see you know, Daniel Smith doesn't like it, Scott Moe doesn't like it in Saskatchewan. Yeah. You're going to yeah. see other premiers say this. And I think maybe the pressure would be on EB to re- re- go back to the original position. The problem mm. the NDP government has, though, it's so dependent on this revenue stream. Yeah. I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I think it's like $1.7 billion Whoa. last year. I mean, you just don't take that out of the budget.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. John and Kamloops. Hi, John. Go ahead.
0: Morning. If the feds did take off, took off the carbon tax, would he be, be compelled to drop it here in BC or would he just carry on his old merry way and tax the hell out of us? <laughs> yeah, well, just as I was just saying, I think the problem the government has is it's now embedded in part in the budget in a deep way. Uh, it used to be tied to an in- income tax cut, revenue neutral. It's no longer revenue neutral. It is revenue. And now if you get rid of a tax, you get rid of revenue at a time when you're looking for more revenue. But if, if
1: Polia became prime minister and he got rid of the federal carbon tax, the, the B.C. provincial carbon tax would still remain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can't touch that. Yeah, Jack in Vancouver. Hi, Jack. Go ahead.
0: Oh, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, just a little thing on the Trump indictment. Uh, it's, it's very clear. I'm not a political guy, but it's very clear that the current administration is basically out to take out their number one opponent, and they're doing everything they can, including the kitchen sink, just to take them out. And and for me, that that's very clear. And it's very sad to see that because you would see that in a third world country, you wouldn't see that in uh, so-called. First no, world I totally disagree. Totally disagree. So first of all, Georgia is not the federal government. This is a state that's taking on the Trump campaign because they feel that they were the ones who were targeted by that particular campaign. So it's a state. It's not Washington D.C. It's not Joe Biden. It's a state uh, attorney who's had a two-and-a-half-year investigation. here, purely on the events in Georgia, not about Washington, D.C., not about Joe Biden or anything else.
1: But th- there will still be the perception that it is a political hit job well, on Trump.
0: Those, the diehard partisans will always cling to that position. Yeah.
1: I mean, at one point yesterday—
0: I mean, the diehard position—I even mean, go back to remember the raid on Glenn Clark's house. Yeah. You know, yeah. the diehard New Democrats at that time thought this is a put-up job by the RCMP and the media. You know, they cling to these conspiracies that somehow, if our guy's in the target here, it must be some sort of um, take them out for political purposes. And that's not how, I mean, that's an overly cynical view these people have. But when you're hyper-partisan, you're going to cling to that point of view.
1: But there, but there is going to be, you know, I, I, I think mes- not necessarily even hyper-partisan people will interpret it that way. There, there may be some swing voters who, who look at this and say, is this in the public interest to go after Trump in this way? It, does, so. look, it does look very partisan.
0: It would also be interesting whether a jury in Georgia... Yeah. Looks at this in a different way, saying, "Wait a minute, RICO statute and yeah. something like this—is that really appropriate?" So again, these are these are counts in Georgia, forty-one counts, but they're not forty-one convictions yet.